Blog Talk Radio. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! You've heard about it. You've read about it. You've talked about it. And now, you've found it. This is Truth About Trucking Live on Blog Talk Radio, the largest radio social network in the world, with your host, Alan Smith, a veteran of OTR trucking, business entrepreneur, and the most recognized name for assisting CDL students and new graduates. It's time to shut down that big rig, sit back, and come join the conversation. Truth About Trucking Live begins right now. And yes, we are back after taking last week off for a little work we had to get done. But thanks for tuning in once again to Truth About Trucking Live. Today is Thursday, October 11th, 2012. I'm Alan Smith along with Donna Smith, who is my trustworthy and excellent co-host for the program. And it's just a few minutes past the hour of 7 p.m. Eastern Time as we are broadcasting live from the sunny state of Florida right here in Citrus County about oh, about 80 miles or so north of Tampa. And, uh, and Donna, you know what's coming up in four days, don't you? Four days. Four days. Uh, is it the second debate? No. Okay. Something much, much more important. My vacation. Okay. <laughs> 16 days of pure vacation bliss, and I'm not going to do anything for 16 days except sit in my chair with a glass of sweet tea Wait and watch reruns of Seinfeld. So what do you think about that? Well, well we have another big uh, thing coming up that you're going to have to get out of the chair. <laughs> Oh, the convention. Okay. Well, hey, that's well worth it. All right. I'll spend some of my days at vacation. Hey, that's going to be fun. That's, that's a vacation in itself, too. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Um, well, I can't even – don't get me going on it because you know me. I start talking about it and I can't stop, although it is in the notes, and I am up first tonight to, to talk about um, – to talk about it. So, uh yeah, we've got a great show for you this evening before we get started. Uh Donna, let's go ahead and jump in there and what what kind of what do you have for us then? We'll get that out of the way and our guest Richard Wilson standing by and we'll get this thing rolling. Okay. Well, we I am going to talk about the convention right now. It's coming up on the 27th and 28th with a welcome reception on the 26th that Friday night. And our guest tonight is the regulatory speaker uh, for the convention. He was also our speaker last year, did a tremendous job, uh, really quite a presentation. It was uh, everybody learned so much uh, at, at the convention last year. And uh, it, if you need to get your ticket, if you don't have your ticket yet, you need to get it. It's, uh, it's www.truckingsocialmedia.com. Click on the register button. You have to have your uh, you have to be registered by October fifteenth. So again, www.truckingsocialmedia.com. It's a two-day event. 
Uh, every truck driver who's concerned about what's going on in the industry today needs to be there. Uh, we'll have the, all kinds of discussions, including your driver's rights, understanding the regulations and the effects of the regulations, and we're going to hit on that tonight with uh, with Rich Wilson here. And uh, sleep apnea, FMCSA will be there to talk about the the sleep apnea regs and the national registry. Uh, truck driver health, another in, uh, very very important issue that drivers are now concerned about. Uh, human trafficking awareness, uh, another big thing that's going on right now. Truckers coming all together uh, to stop the atrocities of human trafficking. And the power of your voice through social media. Chris Voss will be there explaining how to use social media effectively, whether it be for a message, whether it's for your business, for your blog, if you need to monetize your blog, um, all kinds of tremendous information that he's going to be giving, ranked number 18 in Forbes magazine. You do not want to miss him either. So this is a two-day event. I do want to touch on the uh, the, the special uh, events going on during during the convention. We have the Jason Rivenberg Making a Difference Award. Last year, Hope Rivenberg was the winner of that award. She will be passing the torch on this year to Kari Fisher of the Missing Truck Driver Alert Network. Um, as you all know, Hope uh, Hope was the crusader for Jason's Law. Uh, everybody said that it wasn't going to pass, that it was useless, and it would take all kinds of this and that. And what it took was a lot of hard work, national phone calls, and I'll tell you what, it's in MAP 21 right now, and now we're working to enforce and make sure that that law uh, includes safe truck parking for everyone who works so hard, including Hope. She will be there. I can't wait to see her again. Uh, October 28th, coincidentally, is Jason Rivenberg's birthday. So we will be having a cake to, in his honor uh, and also to celebrate Jason's law in the transportation bill. That's going on on the Sunday. Also on Sunday, uh, we'll be having the Pride in Your Ride uh, awards and trophies, over $1,000 worth of prizes donated from Cobra Electronics to the first, second, and third place winner of, of the Pride in Your Ride contest. It's it's a maintenance contest. It's not a beauty contest. It's how well you keep your truck clean and shined and uh, beautiful in that sense of the word. You know, you don't have to have, you know, thousands of dollars in chrome and all like that. So everybody who's parked at the convention uh, is, is an entry. So uh, you just go enjoy the convention. And Dan Harmon of KC Trucker and Rigs and Rides Magazine and his judging crew will be out there uh, judging, and the awards and trophies will be given on that Sunday also. Um, your tickets, like I said, do need to be in. includes all your meals, your entries. Uh, Cobra will be giving away um, over $5,000 worth of gifts to drivers who are attending. Go Truck Stop, the, uh, the um, sponsor for the Making a Difference Award, uh, will also <clears throat> be giving away over $1,000 worth of gifts. They're a bronze, a bronze sponsor plus the sponsor for the Making a Difference Award. So there's all kinds of things going on. Um, the information alone on this convention is unbelievable. Uh, we actually have trucking companies sending their drivers 
uh, to the convention for this information, and we're thrilled to death. Get your ticket. October 15th is the deadline. You don't want to miss it, and we hope to see you there. One more thing, I want to give a shout-out to Operation Roger, who will be there. It's a pet transport system, and also to Trucker Charity, and they will also be there. So we just welcome everybody. It's two weeks away, and I am really excited. Can you tell? <laughs> well, yeah. You said you weren't going to get too much into it, and you just rolled right through it. Well, you know, I, I can't stop. I didn't get all the way into it. I, this is brief compared to what I usually do, so I highlighted. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's all you have um, for now? That's that's it for now. Um, if I think of something later, you might want to ask me. But this is all I have on my notes for now. All right. Well, I'm sure something will come up. But like I said, we've got a got a great show for you this evening, a lot of information. I'm sure everyone is uh, uh, well aware of the CSA and the seven basics, those seven behavior analysis and safety improvement categories. And, yes, I did say behavior analysis because they are actually basics that deal with driver characteristics, uh, characteristics and behavior, and as we all should know by now, these basics can impact driver CSA scores, which in turn can affect the carrier CSA scores. And recently, the FMCSA renamed some of the basics, such as the fatigue driving basic was named to the HOS compliance basic. So what does all of this mean to you, the driver? Well, to sort it all out for us is our guest, Richard Wilson, regulatory expert with trans products and trans services at transproducts.com who I often refer to as the regulations guy, and he'll discuss these CSA 7 basics and those basics that were renamed, what it all means, and exactly what he believes what all of this has to do with mandating EOBR regulations. So you want to join the conversation? I call in number 347-826-9170, our guest Richard Wilson of transproducts.com. And our show this evening, EOBR, Renaming the CSA 7 Basics, coming up on Truth About Trucking Live. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Truth About Trucking Live on Blog Talk Radio. I hear from a lot of newcomers to the industry who still have that entrepreneur spirit that has made the United States of America the great country that she is. And many of them still have one goal in mind, and that is to someday have their own rig and become an owner-operator. Truth About Trucking Live is all about providing honest, reliable information about the OTR trucking industry, especially for those just beginning their truck driving careers. Running your own trucking business is part of the entrepreneurial spirit that has kept America moving since truck were first used by the military in World War One. If you're considering starting your own owner-operated business, there's only one name that you need to know, Lone Mountain Truck Leasing. LoneMountainTruck.com offers the best lease purchase plans in the industry. There's no huge balloon payment at the end, and when you make that final monthly payment, they hand over the title, the truck is yours. They require a very reasonable down payment, and the monthly payments are kept at an affordable $1,000 per month, and sometimes even less. 
A great inventory to choose from, including Peterbilts, Volvos, Internationals, and Freightliners, and all of their trucks are mechanically checked out, dependable, and ready to go to work. And unlike trucking company leases, if you choose to change motor carriers, the truck goes with you. It's your truck. Check them out at LoneMountainTruck.com or give them a call toll-free, 866-512-5685. LoneMountainTruck.com, the honest guys for the sweet lease deals. LoneMountainTruck.com. Man, it's crowded tonight. Care if I join you? Sure, have a seat. Sorry about the paperwork. <laughs> Name's Cole. Appreciate it. I'm Harlan, by the way. Here's a fill-up for you guys. Thanks, honey. Harlan, you look hungry. What can I get you? I'll have a Coke and whatever he's having. Back in a bit. What are you doing with all this paperwork, driver? Looks like you're tripping over your trip sheets. I want to get a jump on these taxes before they jump me. There is a better way to manage your trucking paperwork. With TripSheetCentral.com, you're a login away from tracking every aspect of your business. TripSheetCentral.com organizes your information easily so you can see how your business is performing. That sounds easy. And it's fast. Time-consuming paperwork is eliminated with a low-cost monthly subscription. I no longer have to worry about invoices, settlement reports, or fuel tax returns. TripSheetCentral.com does that for me. Manage your business information securely with TripSheet Central. Visit TripSheetCentral.com at your next stop. This is Truth About Trucking Live with Alan Smith. To be a part of the program, call in now at 347-826-9170. Skype users can call in by clicking on the Skype button on our show page. To be a sponsor of the show, email Donna at info at truthabouttrucking.com. Now, back to the show. All right, we're back with our guest Richard Wilson of transproducts.com. And Richard, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Good, good, good. How's everybody doing tonight? I'm all right. You're not a, I know you're really out there doing a lot of traveling and working, and uh, hope you all rested up for the show. <laughs> yep, I'm ready to go. Yeah, all right. Well, appreciate everybody tuning in on the phone lines, uh, those in the chat room. Thanks for being here. I guess uh, I don't know where – a lot of information tonight I know, so I'm not really sure where you want to start, Richard. I guess uh, uh, you, we can start with the seven basics, what they are, move into what was renamed, and uh, just kind of let you roll along here. Where, where would you like to begin here? Well, I guess the best thing to do is start right from the basics from the beginning um, and kind of give a little brief um, synopsis and overall synopsis of um, CSA to just bring people up to speed and where we're at. Um, The CSA is basically designed by the Federal Motor Carrier as an enforcement tool um, to uh, make more drivers and companies accountable for their their actions um the fact is the history of the csa was basically designed and started back in like 03 and 04 because uh there's you know the government's number is about 750,000 when actuality if you clean out the companies that aren't um, around anymore uh probably about 670 to 7 uh, 700 or 670 680,000 motor carriers with a DOT number. Now, that doesn't always naturally necessarily stand for tractor trailers or large motor carriers, 
That could be anybody with vehicles of 10,000 pounds or greater that travel in interstate commerce. So there's a really wide expanse and demographics that's involved by CSA as well as the over-the-road guys that most people think about when they think about big trucks. The problem was it is, is there, was, there wasn't enough agents to go around and only about 12% of the, or 2% of the carriers were actually being audited and being monitored, which was about 12,500 approximately a year. The problem is, if you look at the numbers, 650, 680,000, and only 12,000 carriers were being looked at, there was a lot of carriers that were flying under the radar, uh, were totally invisible, and were getting really basically, were running up and down the highway completely unsafe and out of control. So the government stepped up and they put together a program called CSA, uh, Compliance, Safety, and Accountability. And what that program was, it gave a way for the federal government to use actual inspections instead of just inspections and out, without a services like the old system was used to govern and monitor carriers and that the data that would be generated by those roadside inspections, not based on out of service, but by all violations found, so they had a system where they could go to and monitor carriers without physically going in on board, going into the place and doing a comprehensive um, on-site compliance review that uh, was very um, labor-intensive, very expensive. It tied up the business as well as the federal motor carrier and um, not always got a good idea of what the day-to-day -day operations of the carriers, and in some cases, carriers that had to run a bad luck and they had some rather serious violations put them out of service, but not necessarily were unsafe carriers. So they needed a new program to put together so they could follow and monitor and see how carriers were going. Another problem was with the old system is it kept data for 36 months, and lingering data, if a carrier did try to make improvements, did try to comply, do corrective actions, there was a long wait period that the numbers stayed so high. And it also affected the carrier's ability to make money simply because that some of the shipper bases and stuff were using those particular numbers to determine who and who they weren't going to ship with. So when they put the CSA program in in its earliest infancies, they decided that they, they were going to come up with seven basic categories. And these categories were what the highest ranking uh, objects that were a direct relationship to safety, noncompliance, and crash causation, which are the three big words that the feds use to determine when a carrier is unsafe or is it safe. So the initial... Uh, seven basics they came up with, like unsafe driving. That would be uh, speeding tickets, left lane violations, following too close, actual driver violations that are in control of the vehicle and, and, and you know, that were, were constituted by the driver and not necessarily by the company. Uh, and some of the companies didn't even realize that, that their drivers were having these problems. The next one was fatigue driving. When the original CSA was established and formatted, uh, the numbers on fatigue driving were actually, uh, and it's recently come out on a white paper by the ATA, that the numbers were a little bit misscrewed on the amount of accidents were actually caused by fatigue driving. 
and also they needed with the with the proposed rulemakings and the new rules that came in on electronic onboard recorders they needed to differentiate and separate that so when they did mandate EOBR some of the original rule where it was if you were top 10% of your violations were based on hours of service violations you could mandatorily be required by the federal motor carrier after an audit to put an electronic on board recorder in your vehicle so they specifically put that basic up there so they would have data to use during a, a on-site or an intervention and comply with or force a carrier to comply with electronic onboard recorder rules. Driver fitness was a basic that was established to make sure drivers were medically and physically qualified that uh, had the proper license they were supposed to have. In other words, if you were required to have a Class A, Class B, CDL, um, even it, even carri uh, carriers and, and, and drivers that do not require CDLs, but do require medical uh, to have a medical card and do make medical um, uh, standards uh, that are safe. Um, that they do have the uh, that they're not disqualified from driving due to either uh, uh, their motor vehicle re uh, license being um, um, suspended and so forth and so on. Uh, controlled substance and alcohol. Controlled substance and alcohol is just what it says. Um, if you get caught on the road driving under the influence, which everybody knows, and, and I want to reiterate this, that driving a commercial motor vehicle at point zero two, .02 is forbidden. Point zero four is intoxicated in a commercial vehicle and your state and in a private vehicle is .08. So at .02, you will be stood down. For instance, if you went and had a drug and alcohol test and your alcohol test came back at .04, it would be a failure and you would have to go through the entire SAP, Substance Abuse Professional Program, as if you failed a drug test. Uh, these standards are very low, which means be very careful when you get in that truck on how much you've consumed and what you've consumed because over-the-counter um, type of medications which are high in alcohol could get you into trouble. Vehicle maintenance was a big one. Vehicle maintenance uh, was to make sure that the drivers were doing their pre-trips inspections like they were supposed to be doing and catching the minor stuff like lights and so forth and so on. And it also made the drivers accountable. So, so if they were forced to drive a truck that was unsafe mechanically, um, they now uh, gave them a little bit more of an edge to refuse to drive it simply because the, uh, they were going to be held accountable themselves. Not that, not that they would get an actual number issued to them, but all the violations would be placed against them, would be put into a file that could be seen by other people later on, and we'll go into that later. Cargo-related was based on just what it says, cargo-related. Um, you know, uh, on a flatbed, you didn't have things chained right, strapped right, you know, in a box. You didn't have a load lock. Um, to give you some examples on some smaller vehicles, uh, service trucks and, uh, you know, like um, pickups and, and, and dualies, pulling trailers with landscape or gardening. Uh, you didn't have, uh, you had things laying in the back of the bed or the back of the uh, trailer that weren't secured. And uh, then we go on into um, the crash study. 
which is um, basically the amount of accidents that a company has, not necessarily and, – and, and one thing I want to stress is what a recordable accident. A recordable accident is any accident where a vehicle is damaged and has to be removed due to the accident. Somebody is injured and has to be immediately treated or somebody um, unfortunately passes away. These are recordable accidents. Nowhere in that definition do you hear fault. So you can accumulate a lot of accidents, not have them be your fault. Uh, you could just have a run of bad luck, and unfortunately that would trigger a, uh, a, a violation that would cause you to be noticed. And what they did is they took those seven basics, combined the numbers of them together, and formed a scale and a number. And these numbers were based on what we call weights, weighted towards crash causation. Um, and the number system that they used was the higher the number, the more likely it was to cause a crash. Now, with these inspections, the, the, the system was put into place so it could be monitored on a regular basis, kept up to date, and view the numbers. So instead of doing the extensive, expensive, and, and labor-intensive uh, uh, on-site compliance review, the government came up with a system to now where they can do interventions. And basically there's three types of intervention. There would be a notification intervention where uh, the carrier or the, an owner-operator or small fleet would get a letter saying, hey, you're high in unsafe or you're in unsafe driving or you're high in maintenance. Um, be careful because you're right on the threshold and you keep it up and you don't do any corrective actions, we're going to be paying you a visit. Now, we had seven basic categories. So what they got to do was by eliminating a lot of time frame involvement, if you only had two high, we'll say two high thresholds and two of the basics, then it would be what they would call a focused intervention. They would come in. They would take those numbers where you were high, and they would strictly concentrate on doing an investigation in that area and to see where you may be lacking in, in uh, compliance and, uh, you know, what you need to concentrate on to repair those, or we like to say in the industry, a corrective action plan. And the third would be based on you're so bad that once we get there that it's – it. Uh, generates us to do a comprehensive on-site compliance review, which means the old typical audit where we're going to be here for a week or two and we are going to go through everything you're required, to, uh, all the records and everything, and you're obviously a carrier that is in trouble, is unsafe, and is a hazard to the general motoring public. Results coming out of this could be anything from a um, – you know, having to do a corrective action plan, having to tell the, the, the government that uh, what you're going to do to change it. Um, it could be fines involved, um, and then it could actually be if you were determined to be a health and um, a safety issue to the general motoring public, you could be shut down. Now, that is basically how CSA came to be and what its basic functions and designs were. Okay, well, <clears throat> let me ask you here, I just listening to you there, and I know, I mean, <clears throat> you know, you and, you know, Trans Products, Trans Service have been doing this for decades and years, and, 
And, you know, when this CSA just start, first started rolling out, uh, you know, there was a lot of drivers and carriers that were just, you know, all kind of hee-hawing, not really paying much attention to this thing. I mean, by now I would think that uh, drivers and carriers should have a, a, a good understanding of, uh, of what the CSA is, the, the, you know, the, the, uh, the three major components. While you were talking about the measurement, evaluation, and interventions, uh, they, should under, they should have a, a basic understanding of uh, the safety management system, the SMS, and, the, uh, and there's actually two of them, the DSMS and the CSMS for the driver and carrier. And, uh, and you know, then we can get into the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, FM, the PSP, uh, the data queue system, all, all these terms and all these things that go along with this, uh, this thing here. Uh, are you now, with all your travel and work that you do in a regulatory compliance, are you, are you seeing where, where drivers and carriers are now uh, getting a, a better grip and understanding of this, uh, this whole CSA thing? Um, on a majority, I'm going to say yes, but I'm also finding there's people out there that have no clue about CSA. They're still out there. Um, it, it was a type of system. The federal government's done a great job of putting information out there and making information available to carriers. But you got to understand the first, you know, you 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 put enough letters out there to make alphabet soup just then, and that's the problem. A lot of these things come up with these anonyms with you know PSP, SMS, CSA, you know DOT, HOS, and the problem of it is they're still carriers. And when I say carriers, let me explain again. Um, that, you know, when we think of carriers, we think of the big trucks, the, you know, Class H, the 80,000s running up and down the road. Um, right. You know, there's, there's you know, really, if you think about it, the majority of the of the companies out there that fall under regulations are not of that size. And there's a lot of people, smaller guys that are operating vehicles of 10,001 pounds in interstate that have no clue. They had no clue they were supposed to uh uh, even have a DOT number in a lot of cases. So what's happening is, is these are starting to come to the surface. And but the major carriers, of course, all the major carriers and 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 the bigger trucking companies, um, uh, you know, the information is out there. The the drivers are speaking. CSA is pretty well known. Um, but there is still a lot of people in the in the industry that aren't that familiar with CSA. And I know I speak to a lot of people, and I go in, and a lot of companies um, get caught off guard because what happens is they they still think that the old uh, SMS system is in place, and you know they still think the old uh, zero to forty five, forty five to seventy five, seventy five to a hundred. You can go on the SMS, the old SMS system, and still see some of the older numbers. And they haven't been brought up to speed. And then once they find it out, you can actually be very high and be almost at a warning stage um, because of the way the CSA system is, is in place and the way the numbers are monitored. Um, a lot of drivers, a lot of companies um, didn't feel that the drivers needed to be trained in CSA. Well, you know, you and I have talked about this a 100 times. The driver should have been trained as soon as or you know, with, along with the, the trucking companies since the twofold pattern of CSA is to hold the companies accountable and to hold the drivers accountable. The driver's accountability has actually, and we've seen cases of it, I've been involved in cases of it, um, making drivers actually unemployable, uh, causing drivers to lose their jobs. Now, the, uh, you know, this is an area where maybe the federal government and I don't totally agree. 
they you know they say that that CSA in of itself does not cause a driver to be unemployable or to lose his job. But if a driver is not um, doing what he's supposed to, is not properly uh, trained, uh, it has a history of some issues, then some of the carriers are not taking the time and effort and energy to retrain the drivers and bring them in and teach them and explain to them that the drivers are getting high numbers themselves personally and not doing anything to correct it. And then uh, when the intervention letter comes into the company and the company said, you know, the government says to the company, hey, you got a high maintenance problem. And the guy says, okay, he looks it up and he's got one driver that maybe has two or three violations, that these companies are doing what I call a Band-Aid over a jug juggler um you know, situation to remedy it is they're saying, okay, fine, we fired the driver. That's our corrective action plan. You know, a little bit of understanding and training with the driver and maybe reiterating how to do a pre-employment. I mean, uh, uh, excuse me, I've got too many things on my head. Uh, a, a pre-trip inspection on a vehicle. You know, what to look for. Uh, companies can't turn uh, can't can't turn a blind eye to to a driver doing a uh, pre-trip or post-trip inspection. Companies have to climb on board and start making repairs. I know drivers out there that have lost their job because they're constantly writing up a truck and the carriers actually told them, hey, quit writing it up, we'll get in trouble. Well, you know, my answer to that is uh, I'll quit writing it up when you fix it because I'm held accountable. Those numbers are going against me. It is my job to make sure this truck is, is safe to be on the highway. I am responsible for it. I am the captain of my ship. Then you better put the thing in dry dock and fix it. And this is where the, some of the carriers' negligence have been is because they're not doing the repairs. They're, they're, they're not doing anything to uh, improve um, the, the maintenance on the vehicles. And, you know, in this economic situation, let's all face it, we're all backed into a corner. We have a job. We don't want to lose it. We don't want to go on to the open market and have to search for jobs. So sometimes we have a tendency due to economic instability to turn a blind eye to this. And it's not fair to the driver because, you know, I've seen where companies have wrote up vehicle or drivers have wrote up vehicle inspection reports, have turned them in. And in one case I had to deal with, a company handed the driver back a blank book and said, redo them and don't write this up. Uh, so, you know, which, you know, I would refuse to do. If I turned it in, it wasn't repaired, I would refuse to drive it. I'd also be probably, in reality, be unemployed very quickly. Right. So this right. is where an area that, that education and understanding, I think, is a little bit lax in this. And with the importance and the, and the high priorities that are put on to CSA, um, you know, this is an area where there should be a cooperative team effort between the two, and I'm just not seeing it 100%. I'm, in reality, I'm probably only seeing it about a 40 to 60%. Uh, well, I was just wondering because I still run into drivers. That, uh, you know, when I'm when I'm on on duty, and I'll bring up CSA. They seem to understand the DSMS, the the Driver Safety Measurement System, and they just still kind of uh, not all of them, but some still tend to uh, uh, not realize the CSMS, uh, the CSMS, the Carrier Safety Measurement System, and how everything ties in. Where law enforcement will you know will use the DSMS to conduct the CSA investigations. And uh, you know, using the using the information that you know they get from the roadside inspection and crashes, and and that information is fed into the PSP, which you know the carriers can access, you know, as part of their new driver hiring process. I mean, all this stuff that goes on with this program, and I still run into drivers that not quite 
uh, you know, up to what they, you know, really need to be. And, you know, and, and Donna, you can jump in here, too. I just still find that uh, interesting because a lot of time has lapsed, and this should be, uh, uh, you know, totally understandable by now by most. Uh, Alan, um, you know, I forward, we get a lot of emails, and I'll forward the ones that people have questions for you over to you. But I can't even tell you how many emails we get of, you know, how do I get my PSP? What's on my PSP? So I just have like a a bookmarking system where, you know, I just send them over to the uh, FMCSA website to, uh, to read, and I'll just say you need to sit down Take an hour and read the website because you really need to know this stuff. And um, but so, I, I mean, the good sign is that they're looking to to educate themselves. That's the good part. The, but the the bad part is it probably needed to be done a few months earlier. So I, I do think there's a lot of people, and then there's people that are just blowing it off. You know, um, hey, I'm a good driver, and uh, you know, I don't do anything wrong, but. I think they don't realize that even the things that they don't think are wrong could get them in trouble. And and am I correct, Richard? Like, well, see, and I'll jump in here too, real quick, because that's a good point you made, Donna. Because, um, I mean, you know, Richard, her saying that there's still a lot just kind of blowing this off. Well, six hundred seventy thousand to six hundred eighty thousand uh, uh, carriers out there with the MC number, um, and still such a low. You know, not enough agents to get that inspection rate up, like you were talking earlier. I mean, is is there a reason for them to be concerned? I mean, there's a a lot of them and not enough agents. So, that, like you were saying in the beginning of the show, they may still be able to fly under the radar. Yeah, and 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 that's another thing. You know, you were talking about the people sending emails and everything, and and we've had this discussion and all the, and a lot of the sites that I belong to. Uh, and how I've used social media, you know, to get the word out and to work with a lot of drivers and a lot of uh, carriers, you know, that I do a lot of that on my own time besides what I do as far as, you know, a profession. I found that a lot of uh, misnomers uh, from drivers is, you know, the big question is, well, how many points do I get for this and how many points do I get for that? Well, the problem is, there, you know, you, the driver himself will get the points on the carrier uh, SMS and on the um, site of the particular carrier. He does The carrier gets the points. The driver gets the violations. In other words, if you go to a PSP, you know, the, the carrier, uh, the driver isn't rated. The driver isn't giving numbers. The driver doesn't have what we call the proverbial speedometer on the PSP. The, all the PSP is going to say is a driver on June 21, 2012, received a out-of-service violation for uh, not having a logbook or uh, had an accident on 12, you know, 12, 11, 11. Um, you know, and the thing about it is um, severity weightings uh, based on crash causations on a carrier doesn't carry over to the driver. So the driver just has a list of violations, and it's not really broke down as 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 fine as what the carrier is because it's just like an inoperable lamp um, is an example. I always like to use this example to so people understand what I mean by weighted um, violation numbers. An inoperable lamp in of itself, we're talking a chicken light, we're talking, uh, you know, a side marker or something like that, a running light. You know, this is only going to be a one or two. Well, that's fine. 
if you get two of those in a, a time frame, then the time weighted may be multiplied. And if you get three, it may go up to three times three. So now you've got a one, and, you know, the first two violations you get, you got two ones, so you got a two. Then all of a sudden your third or fourth violation, now all of a sudden it becomes multiplied by two, so instead of having a one and, or having two violations, now you could possibly have six. And then if you get a fifth one or a sixth one, then it could multiply by three. So there's a point assignment for a simple light. Now, if that light, for instance, happened to be a brake light or a turn signal, now, as I, to give you an example of crash causation, now that taillight could actually be a seven or an eight because you cannot, you know, you cannot give your in, your intentions to the general motoring public that you're going right. to stop turn, and that could be a direct cause to a crash. That's what I mean by crash causation. So if a driver was to get a violation, it was an inoperable lamp. It doesn't really specifically say, but when it gets into the higher areas, then it could be listed as an out-of-service for a guy to change a $7 light bulb, you know, uh, but it could be placed out-of-service until he changes the light. So now that inoperable light uh, lamp isn't differ uh, discerned on what the, what the importance of it is, but if it could be placed on an out-of-service, then the guy shows a maintenance violation with an out-of-service order. Well, you know, some things are placed out-of-service and then are fixed immediately. You know, giving you an example in the smaller uh, vehicles, electric brakes, uh, the breakaway isn't hooked up or plugged in. Um, that's an out-of-service order. But what does it take, five minutes to hook it to the, you know, to the, to the hitch or the, the bumper? So now all of a sudden, you know, that guy gets put out of service driving a dually pickup, pulling a 14- or 15-foot trailer, but it's an out-of-service order. So if he would to go get his license or, or, or uh, get a job with a bigger company or something, and the company would run his PSP, he, they'd see where he had an out-of-service order listed against him. So, uh, you know, that's one of the biggest, I think, uh, uh, misnomers is, is the, the argument of how many points is it if I do this or how many points is it if I do that when the answer should really be don't do that and you won't get a violation. You won't get points against you. And that's where the carriers and I believe the drivers have to – kind of team up, you know, and, and help each other out here. And that's where education yeah. on the drivers or the, the companies to the drivers uh, needs to be placed where they bring their drivers in. I know carriers that have brought me in to do, I do training sessions on CSA with the drivers, and you would be surprised to put 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 drivers in a room and go over basically CSA, and they look at you like, Really? Well, we had no idea, and that amazes me that they're still out there like that. Well, it does me too, and that's why I was bringing that question up. So I, I have a question. Okay, and then let's get into the uh, the what which of the seven basics were renamed, and then we're going to move into this uh, re relationship between the renaming of the uh, basics and the EOBRs. But go ahead. I just want to I just want to ask a question. So when we get emails about <laughs> how many how many points for you know X Y Z violation am I going to get? I mean because I usually send them the link to the methodology of the FMCSA that actually describes each and every violation and how many points is assigned to that. Mm -hmm. 
when in fact I should be telling them you're not getting any points, you just got the violation. But doesn't the companies, don't the companies now have a, a third-party system where they, they insert all that information and they, there actually is points? Isn't it Vigilo, is it, or Vigilow? I, I, it's Vigilow Incorporated, and they have, uh, and there's there are several third-party services. Vigilow is one of the biggest. But, uh, I mean, that's a good question, Richard, because I my understanding, too, was, I mean, there are quotation points, and that's where the CSA um, driver scorecard comes from. Well, um, you're va- you're absolutely right, and I was speaking uh, just on PSP and just on the uh, FMCSA uh, information. Uh, but that is a very good point. I'm glad you brought it up because there is third-party uh, companies out there that are basically taking the information. Uh, from the driver's violations, and uh, they're turning it into a so-called DAC-type program, only instead of uh, having a carrier write in, for instance, and giving a bad report on a driver, the data is coming directly off of the CSA. And what what a lot of those companies are doing, and uh, I'm finding this out now, is they're actually taking, um, and how this really works, and what I've ran into is the carrier will give the, the these companies a, a their their PIN number, and they run the CSA report, and it has points assigned to the carrier with the driver's name on it. So whatever the assessment of the points that are issued to the carrier, <clears throat> trans, they transpose it over onto the driver, and then the driver, whatever violations he gets and whatever points are assessed, that driver happens to pick up those points, and it goes on that, that system that uh, motor carriers will pay for. Um, that is a third party that is not uh, owned by the federal government. Um, the, there's no continuity within the program of how they decipher or come up with the numbers. So, I mean, they can put on there anything they want. Um, you know, I've, I'm also finding out from the enforcement side of this that uh, there's an inconsistency and a non-continuity amongst what the uh, enforcement officers, how they're writing violations, and what numbers are being assigned to it based on the uh, on how they're writing them up. Um, I saw, for instance, the other day, I saw a motor carrier that had a cracked lens. wasn't inoperable, but it had a cracked lens on a turn signal on, on the back of a six-wheel truck. They were actually given an eight as an inoperable turn signal. Well, the light was working. It was just a lens crack. But it was a local police officer. It wasn't a, um, um, a state truck enforcement officer. It was a town cop. And, you know, here he is. He's writing up things based on his opinion. So, you know, it, it's going back into it. You know, what are the numbers? Sending somebody to the um, – you know, to see what the numbers are assigned, they're supposed to be a standard, but there again, however the officer, the enforcement officer is actually rating up at the time of the inspection can influence their grade and size of numbers. And also on that same note, which you're talking about the third-party uh, commercial, um, um, you know, assignment numbers, um, <clears throat> if if you know, a driver, say, for instance, Alan, you had five drivers in the company you worked for that didn't do their pre-trips inspections, and they were constantly being rode up for, you know, minuscule, minor items or so forth and so on. And, you know, one guy got three tick- got three violations, one guy got two violations, another guy got two violations. Well, now you've had eight violations in a 24-month 24 24 period. 
you have a light go out while you're riding down the road, you get pulled in. Now, all of a sudden, your light going out could be a one What because of time-weighted severity and having a continual amount of violations building up. The number beside your name could be as high as 8, 9, or 10, not because of the simplicity of the violation, but because you've got other guys in your company that are getting stopped constantly and they're building up this time-weight scenario to where your violation might be a 10 now. And see, huh. that's when you start taking those numbers and tra- transferring and transposing them over to a third-party type of system that is unfair because you get the only ticket you ever got in five years or get a violation, I don't want to say ticket, but a violation. And, you know, that's the only one you ever had, but, you know, you got five or six guys you work with that don't do what they're supposed to do, and you're now paying for it. And that's on your record. And that's one of the systems that I think there's a flaw in and it needs to be addressed. Yeah, uh, I, I think there. I mean, this thing is really so huge. I think there's going to be <laughs> quite a few flaws coming up. But let's go to uh, before time gets away from us here. Okay, there's seven basics. Uh, which ones and how many were renamed? Um, basically, what they did was is they took. Uh, let's start. Let's just go down the list. All right, the first one, which was fatigue driver. Um, the federal government did a study, and what they determined was that there was a lot of things that were issued under fatigue driving that was more of a record-keeping um, situation that generated violations um, and that there was kind of a mixed um, bag of information coming in uh, on electronic on-board recorders versus paper logs. Um and one of the things they were getting is is a lot of the carriers um, under fatigue driving, um, there was some, you know, it, a situation like in Minnesota where um, some officers felt that they had a degree in uh, medicine and could determine that a driver was fatigued. So what they did is they basically changed the name of fatigue driving to hours of service, or it will change in, in uh, J- December of this year, actually. And uh, But what they did is they wanted to say, okay, um, what methodologies in fatigue driving are basically the primary things that um, we have, uh, you know, to record on here? So uh, everybody knows hours of service, obviously. Hours of service, you know, over the extended hours of service, driving over the 11, driving over the 14, uh, not getting a 10 consecutive hours and not getting your 34-hour restart. Um, well, what happened was is all of a sudden vehicles that were having electronic onboard equipment or recorders uh, were bypassing the scales, bottom line, because, uh, one, maybe there are so many systems out there, there wasn't any real uh, continuity in the how to read it, uh, could use the different readers, um, I, I, in one of the Mixac meetings, I actually heard an officer make the statement that he wasn't going to climb across the seat of a truck driver to look at his electronic onboard recorder, you know, or his Qualcomm or whatever. So, you know, people were putting electronic uh, onboard recorders in their vehicles, and they weren't being pulled in. And they, um, you know, because the, the there are different levels of inspections, class, you know, level one, level two, level three. Well, you get into your level threes, which are basically your driver only. What do you have to check? The driver's license, uh, the medical card, 
and their hours of service. Well, you know, they weren't doing as many level threes. So what they did was is, and there, and there, and there was a, a differentiation in the violations. Um, you know, if you had, if you didn't have a paper logbook with you, you know, it was a five, six, seven, or eight. Uh, if your electronic onboard recorder was down, uh, you know, it could be as little as one. So there was differences in the numbers. So one of the things they did by focusing and changing the name on it was to bring it up to the point where it was equally, um, uh, you know, assessed violations uh, across the board. Now, to say that, what happened was is everything is based on inspections and violations found. The fairness factor there or the unfairness factor there was if you have an electronic on-board recorder and you're not getting a level three, level one, two, or three, and you're not being inspected, then there's a lot of people running around out there with electronic on-board recorders uh, that could be violating, you know, their hours of service or whatever, and are not being caught. So the people that had the paper logs were kind of unfairly being harassed because, you know, they could hand the, the enforcement officer their logbook. Well, there's, there's another factor that came up out of that. Uh, information and data used um, in the, in, by the federal government um, to take their cases to court to force electronic on-board recorders uh, on, you know, into the industry, um, they were getting unfair numbers because they were catching more guys that were doing, uh, you know, with logbook violations than they were with the electronics because the electronics weren't being inspected. And then something else came out of this. All of a sudden, form and manner violations started showing up. Um, Todd Spencer at, the, at one of the MixAct meetings uh, put it in a, in a very good uh, perspective manner. He says, how does leaving a zip code on a logbook off have to do with a driver being fatigued or causing a crash? But it was, you know, under form and manner that anything that you miss on the face of a log, which are 17 items required for you to put on that log, and any one of those items that are put on that log that are not correct, misspelled, are technically violations of form and manner. Um, probably one of the biggest ones when it, with uh, Trans Products and Trans Services, uh, Trans Services Division, we have a log auditing division, and Michelle, our log auditor, and I have had this conversation uh, probably 685,000 times as well as there's motor carriers, drivers forgetting to put a commodity down or put a um, um, uh, shipping invoice number. Um, you know, what is not putting that on there, I mean, you know, have to do with safety, but it's a violation. Uh, misspelling, misabbreviations. Now, they don't sound like they're important, but if you're an enforcement officer in the atmosphere that we have today, writing citations and writing violations and generating funds and money, that, you know, you can find those type of things. Well, the problem with it is, in the second half of this is it's putting out there a lot of data of misconception that these log violations uh, or form and manner are going to be, you know, um, um, absorbed into the, the paper logbook violation, and there's going to be a higher numbers of violations for the um, advocates for electronic onboard recorders 
to take them, uh, you know, to the courts and, and, and to the committees and say, listen, uh, and I'm going to, this is just an example. So this isn't a real number, so don't hold me to these. But let's say it's a 25 to 1 ratio because if you only inspect one electronic onboard recorder, but you inspect 25 vehicles that have uh, paper logs, the one guy with the electronic recorder doesn't have any violations and five out of the 25, so now you have a five to nothing or a five to one ratio, uh, and you start adding zeros behind that, obviously it's going to look like the paper logs are generating more violations. So these numbers are going to actually be, you know, used um, uh, in the new, with the new MAP 21 uh, program about, you know, requiring, um, you know, automatic electronic onboard recorder regulations. Uh, you know, to verify, you know, the numbers. So, and they're not real numbers because of the real amount of vehicles being inspected. So, you know, here's again, by changing it to HOS and eliminating and, 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 and narrowing it down to the violation generating by it, you know, some experts are saying, and, and, and some of the data is coming through saying that uh, they're actually manipulating uh, the data to prove their point and to get across what they want. And, and, and Todd Spencer, again, in Washington and a few others, and including myself, had talked to people. And we actually know of cases where companies using electronic onboarding uh, recorders are manipulating the time of the drivers. And one of the things that came up out of this was driver harassment. And out of driver harassment was simply this. You're riding down the road, and a driver himself knows better when he's tired than the ECM of his truck. So if he decides that he's tired and he pulls in and he decides he's going to take a nap, uh, he just can't go any further, and all of a sudden his cell phone rings and there's a the dispatcher that's sitting in a cushy air-conditioned office, and he says, hey, man, what are you doing? You're stopping. And, well, man, I'm tired. Uh-uh. You've got five hours left. You've got to get that load. No, listen, dude, I'm tired. I, I can't go anymore. Yep, well, you've got five more hours to drive, so if you don't get that load or you don't get that truck moving, then you're going to be in a heap of trouble. Or where a guy calls in and he says, listen, I'm in traffic, I'm stuck, I, I was longer at the loading dock than what I was supposed to be, I'm going to be out of hours. And the guy says, listen, you get that where you got to get it to, uh, and I'm not talking egregious hours, I'm talking two, three, four hours, but you get that load down there, you let us worry about your hours of service violation. And in that situation, all of a sudden, it's like, oops, there was a mistake. Let's go into the electronic database and make an adjustment to it. And on the same note with that, if all of a sudden you get a driver that says, listen, I'm not going to drive illegally. I'm tired. I'm, you know, It's against the regulations for me to drive ill or fatigued. I am fatigued. I'm telling you I'm fatigued. I'm parking the truck. All of a sudden, the guy gets called into the office, and they say, listen, we're going to have to let you go. you got too many hour violations. And there's no way that the driver is going to you know, be able to, to, to rebut that or counteract it because it's all hard data into the database. So electronics are easier to manipulate. Just remember, with, a, with a, any type of data, it's data in and data out. Anytime you have a logbook, it's the driver with a pen in his hand and a ruler, and he's putting it down. Do both of them have a tendency or the ability to be falsified? Absolutely. Is, can one be falsified more than the other? Not really. They're both equal. But the thing I don't like about it is electronic manipulation 
But when you use a system that doesn't exactly make it fair to manipulate the data to get it across, I think there needs to be some type of a uh, accountability. They're talking about drivers being accountable. They're talking about uh, companies being accountable. What accountability do we have out there for law enforcement? Because everybody knows, and, and you get into a situation where, um, and not every law enforcement out there, and I have a lot of very good friends that are DOT and law and truck enforcement officers are legitimate, they're honest, they're great guys, they're doing a job. Um, they know that they know the difference between a minor infraction that you can get fixed at the next truck stop versus something that's going to cause the wheel to come off and you to have an accident. And there's also there's states and every every driver on this radio show tonight can mention them. We could have an entire two-hour show just on outlaw enforcement. And the problem is our only recourse is to file a data queue, which is sent to the very officer that wrote us up and ask him to remove it. And if he goes, nope, it was legit, I'm not going to remove it, it's on there. It's done. So, you know, there's account there has to be accountability on both sides. And by, you know, having the electronic recorders mandatory, you know what I you know what my favorite saying is an ECM don't know how, who's driving that truck. And an ECM is nothing but a data transmitter and the data came, coming out of them is transmitted over an air. It's not a you know there's no guarantee that it's a locked system and anybody that has the ability to send that data into a main data frame or a database has the available ability of going in there and changing, corrupting uh, manipulating. So, you know, what are you gaining by forcing EORBs? You're forcing people to put a lot of money, uh, additional money out there that may, right now in this economic times may not have the money, you know, to spend on that and to retrofit it. But there's a whole other gray side to this that a lot of people don't see. You know, when you've got 670,000, 680,000, you know, DOT-regulated carriers, and 127,000 out of them are over the road or regional long distance, or, you know, haulers, that means you have a balance of people that don't drive tractor trailers, that don't drive trucks over 26,000, but yet due to the fact they're a service, you know, type of company or they're a um, uh, construction or something like that that has to transfer from location to location, even though they may run in the short haul exemption while they're there on site, they have to do a log to get there. And these are the people that are going to have to spend, you know, on an F-350 or an F-250 or, or F-450 are going to have to spend $1,500 or $2,000 and another ten, fifteen thousand for a database system to put an electronic on board recorder because the way the law is written, if you do a log one time, you have to have an EOBR. So this is, you know, by changing the hours of service, they primarily went more uh, towards um, uh, documentation and recording. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, the, the uh, 14, 11, 14, 12, there, it's just, it's put a kind of a more of a focus on the documentation, um, physically, paper, or electronic, and kind of um, uh, emphasize that on it a little bit more. Okay, so uh, all right, so let me let me just let me try to bring this thing around to a full circle, kind of get it all here in one place here. So the fatigue driving basic was renamed to the HOS compliance basic. 
And uh, by tying this all in with the data that's coming in from the uh, inspections and roadside crashes, uh, there uh, many are believing that this this data is wanting to is going to be used in order to show the need for mandating EOBRs. So now, uh, and uh, the data queue thing is a whole different system because anybody, motor carriers, drivers, even the general public can submit a request for uh, data review using the data queue system. But So now with these EOBRs, uh, from a driver's point of view, um, I have a there, there's I, yeah they're they're gonna there's like two major uh, issues with the EOBRs from a driver's point of view and it has to do with the HOS safety concerns where uh, many just believe that the EOBRs will never solve these these concerns of the the uh, the tension time at shippers and receivers is one and the lack of safe parking areas for drivers to reach their 10-hour rest period compliance now on top of that like you were saying Richard. There's three input functions to the EOBR, the off-duty sleeper and on-duty not driving. And what puts those, what, who, what is responsible for putting that, those three functions into the EOBR? Well, the driver, a human being. So it re, it's going to rely on the driver to put these three functions and into the EOBR, and the EOBR also will allow the carrier to go in and edit the HOS, change it like you were saying, in order to take some of the legal hours away and add hours to, to keep the driver running if that's what the carrier wants to do. So it kind of comes all back around to you, Donna, what you were telling me earlier that, I mean, the EOBR uh, initially could was designed as a good thing, but any like you were telling me earlier before the show, you know, <laughs> relating it to like the welfare system, anything can be manipulated so a good thing can turn into a bad thing. Oh, absolutely. But the question, I have two questions. A, doesn't it show when someone goes in there and changes things? Isn't there some kind of record of it? Um, it seems to me I read or maybe even on our last show that we discussed EOBRs on that it said there was some kind of a record that it's been altered. And B, what happened? I thought we weren't funding EOBRs, that the funding was pulled in MAP 21 on the amendment. Well, I mean, the, yeah, that the, the funding. I mean, that's that's all, all that's it hadn't it hasn't been funded yet. But the fact is, it was included in the mandate that they that they come up with an EOBR program. To answer that question. The first question is, uh, manipulability or um, you know, being able to manipulate and and being caught. Uh, who has the pri proprietary information and ownership of it? Um, it's it's database. So I mean, anybody and everybody um, can can work these systems. I mean, they're not they're not foolproof. Um, you know, they're not this one size fits all um, situation. And there again, um, you know, a guy that uh, doesn't put a zip code down on a logbook, but he gets a violation for form and manner versus a guy getting a phone call from a dispatcher, what is going to be more detrimental to the safety of the general motoring public and the drivers out there is a guy telling somebody he's got to drive because he has hours or because a guy put a zip didn't put a zip code down on a log. So if CSA and accountability and safety is the is and and we all know that safety is the high priority 
then then we you know we need to concentrate on safety and not writing up log books um you know for stuff missing on them just to get the data um to to present to the powers that be that are going to rule on these things um because i mean when they, you know when they went in with the EOBR and and they went to the courts and they got it stayed uh, because they found out that there was true manipulation and it was causing unsafe and unsafe in the drivers. I mean, this was hard data. The judges wouldn't have accepted it, you know. And now they're turning around and they're counteracting that with saying, like, well, look at all the logbook violations because of form and manner violations. Well, form and manner doesn't, you know. I'm not. And 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 let me explain something. Let me let me be the devil advocate for myself here. Uh, a form and manner violation can lead, and, and with our log auditing service at Trans Services and Trans Products, we have a scene where you can look at manipulation and somebody forgets to write something down is because they're doing additional or, or they're redoing their logs and, and they're not doing them right. And it does lead to falsifications as well. But it doesn't necessarily cause a driver to be unsafe, you know, because of that, uh, you know, if the guy just makes a mistake. Um, but th that's what I'm saying. There's no accountability, and there's no, um, uh, you know, uh, I don't believe there's any hard data that really says one or the other can't be manipulated, uh, and that one actually, because you do a paper, a paper log, um, you're more in trouble than if you don't do, you know, if you do it electronic, you know. So if you're going to use um, the data presented by inspections and violations, then you need to have an equal demographic and inspect as many people that have electronic onboard recorders, and you need to train the enforcement uh, um, authorization and enforcement community and give them the data and the equipment they need to be able to read these, because if you don't, um, then you're not going to get a fair demographic. So, in other words, you're going to do a 25 or 250,000 to one ratio on inspections. Obviously, the paper logs are going to come up looking a lot worse. So, here again, it's accountability. They they want drivers and they want ca uh, carriers to be accountable. But what accountability do we have on the actual numbers coming in to be true and honest? Yeah, well, uh, there, you know, there's going to be manipulation. That's kind of interesting. I was doing a little research before the show. Did you hear about, or do you have you um, aware of? Uh, you know, they kind of have EOBRs in the uh, European Union. They're called tachographs, and uh, I haven't really confirmed it. But I, I mean, I was reading about it. It seems to be the the accurate thing. But the drivers over in the European Union with these tachographs have figured out a way to manipulate that. It works just as the EOBR. It, it tracks the uh, the movement of the speed and movement of the truck, and that data is sent back to the government. And drivers, uh, what I have found, are using a round magnet, and they take that magnet and they place it over the connection to the, uh, to the uh, trans transmission box, and that shows that the driver started moving maybe a half hour ago, or maybe an hour ago, whatever they want to set it as. And uh, so, I mean, <laughs> I, I think they're always going to find manipulation. But as Donna, as you was telling me earlier, too, it doesn't mean that every motor carrier out there is going to manipulate this thing. I mean, those who want to run legal and safe uh, will, will do it properly, and those who don't, and uh, drivers who don't, will perhaps find a way to manipulate it. It, it, well, I, I want to know, is there any uh, kind of uh, punishment if you're found manipulating the EOBR? Have they have they gone that far? Have they established anything like that? 
your your company would your company would be hit with a violation uh, if there was an intervention and during the intervention it was found out that uh, you know they pulled the data out of them um, you know and so forth and so on and they found out that the company was manipulating it would be the same violation as if a company was found manipulating paper logs it's falsification you know and falsification of a of a of a federal document whether it's a data document or it's a paper document you know it's still a federally required mandated document and you sign it. And you state that all entries are true and correct. So um, whether the driver manipulates it or the company manipulates it, it's still a falsification, and it carries the same penalties, which are fairly high penalties, actually, especially on a carrier side. Um, you know, and, and that, that's what I mean. It, it's, it's it, you know, for I don't care what you do. Anything you do in, in our industry, there's going to be somebody that's going to be smarter than you and me that's going to figure out how to get away with it. Um, you know, and the thing about it is this, this is what's staggering to me. And, and, and a lot of the people out there that I deal with and a lot of the carriers that I deal with uh, are, are, are smaller carriers than the big ones. But if you look, all this electronic data gathering by a truck, all the paper logs written in the world, if the guy sitting behind the seat and the gal sitting behind the seat is not properly trained and doesn't have the experience, they're going to have accidents. And it doesn't matter if they have an electronic uh, computer with a gazillion data giga hits of bytes or whatever. If they don't know how to drive the truck, they're going to crash it and they're going to kill somebody. Okay, you look at the carriers that, uh, right now that are out there that have electronic onboard recorders. You want to have a good afternoon or have fun? Go to YouTube. See how many of the big carriers that are carrying electronic onboard recorders that are having accidents. I mean, look at the overall accidents. You know, most of these accidents out here are because they're not paying attention. Uh, they have inexperience. Has nothing to do with the electronic onboard recorders or the paper logs. You know, they, you know, every organization and every advocacy group and every trucking association. I don't care who it is. They will manipulate data to get their point across. So the bottom line is: is it safety? then maybe we need to be looking at instead of spending billions of dollars on electronic devices to drive the trucks. I, I, was, at a, I was at a truck show one time, and I was talking to the guy from uh, Volvo Trucks, was an engineer, and he was telling me about all this equipment there, lane deflection, crash uh, notification, and everything else. And I said to him, I says, when do you guys start designing where the driver's going to sit? Because after a while, you're going to run out of room for the driver. So, you know, by saying that, um, I know what the basic, what I'm, I guess what I'm getting at, bottom line is, I know what the principles behind this, but it's kind of like Peter blaming Paul, you know, uh, why there's accidents when I don't, I think the root cause of the accident isn't as much, uh, you know, what hours are be recording or how are you recording them because it's already been proven that fatigue is, the numbers of accidents caused by fatigue are not as high as what was originally uh, uh, reported. Um, the, the, the crash rates have gone down more, um, you know, before mandated uh, electronic onboard recorders. Uh, they're at their lowest levels ever. There was a slight bump this year. But then again, if those numbers are coming in where fatigue is not a high, you know, not as high as what it was, there's other causes to crashes. So instead of spending the time, effort, and money 
to put a system in that doesn't have accountability or continuity, maybe they need to be looking in different directions as far as raising the bar of safety, and that's better improvement for driver training and, and, and uh, getting better quality drivers out there. And maybe one of the ways we can start bringing youth into our industry or getting better qualified drivers and getting them off unemployment is starting getting the wages up. You know, one of the things I'd like to see, I'd like to see truck drivers. One thing I, I guess my goal is I would like to see driving a truck be labeled as a skilled job, as skilled labor, because it isn't right now. And, I mean, come on. we got as many regulations against us as what airline pilots have, and I want to see uh, you call an airline pilot unskilled labor. So, well, I'll I tell mean, you. there's other facets. If they want to they concentrate and spend the time, money, and effort and safety, they need to look at the root causes of problem. And one of those things is the guy and gal behind the steering wheel needs to be better trained and educated. Well, that is that is a, a a point that's been brought up, and I know there's a lot of drivers um, furious over the fact that it's categorized as unskilled labor. Um, I know if you search on um, Ask the Trucker, I know Alan wrote an article on that, a couple of them, going back about, I don't know, three years, and then there was another one maybe a year ago, because I, I kind of remember a show with Fred Shaft on where we we spoke about it. It would be a good show to listen to again. I'll try to find the link on it um, later. But that is a huge point you just brought up. And uh, I, I think, you know, I would like to address that. I'm already thinking about next year's convention. Uh, but if nothing is done between now and then, I think that would be a, a huge point to bring up uh, at the convention next year. I, I do have one more question. I know you've probably answered it, but um, the, the question is, so there is a way for the government to check the EOBRs to see if they've been altered, correct? Uh, I'm not a, I, I, I'm going to answer that this way. I'm about as computer savvy as, you know, my idea of, a, uh, of computer expertise is about two steps above an abacus. So the technical aspects of going in and being able to trace manipulated data, I, I don't have the expertise to say it, but just on my basic knowledge of computer, dirty data in is dirty data out, and if somebody can go in and do something as, as, as simple as clean out the uh, – um, you know, when you can go to when you can go into a computer and clean out the browsing history, how do you not be able to go in and clean out, you know, data and remove it, manipulate it, and put it back into it? Um, you know, I, that's not my level of expertise. Believe me, well, I have enough with just forty nine CFR to keep me busy. So, well, you know, you have to talk to a bring, The expert. point I'm bringing up, Richard, is this. If harassment is an issue and it's been brought up, you've brought it up at the uh, at the Mixac meetings, right? I mean, Todd Spencer from OIDA has brought it up uh, big time. I mean, they have articles in Landline and everything over it. So my point is, if this is an issue and it can't be resolved or checked on or or a violation can't be uh created if you if you do something to the EOBR to manipulate it then isn't that a reason that it should be uh suspended or halted for a while or you know put on hold in, until something can be figured out well, I mean, that's 
Yeah, that's a very good point. And, and you know, um, yeah, that's why I say, you know, putting too much emphasis on making this mandatory simply because somebody wants it um, without the, the hard data to prove that it can't be manipulated, you're absolutely right. Uh, it should be put on hold until, you know, the bugs can be worked out or a better system. But you talk in economics. You're talking millions and millions of dollars of money that's already been spent to retrofit trucks and the larger companies that, that you know, the, the top 100 will say, um, the money that they put forth and they've spent to put electronic onboard recorders in their trucks, um, a scenario that in the discussion that I had was put very simply, it's like NASCAR. Um, you know, every time that you change a rule in NASCAR, it costs the teams millions of dollars to, 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 to build new, new cars and, and, and to come up with new systems. Well, it's the same thing. When you're looking at 680,000 uh, DOT companies that every, out, out, you know, out there, that 127,000 approximate over-the-road motor carriers, um, you know, we're talking, we're talking billions of dollars, billions of dollars. And, and right now the economic structure of our industry is not a, going to be able to afford that. We don't have increase in freight rates. Uh, dollars per mile that are being generated by freight. I mean, look at all the people out there that are private carriers and that are supply and, and, and service people that don't generate any freight with their vehicles. Their, freight, their vehicles are service vehicles and they're dead loss. And, you know, you're going to have to retrofit. You're going to have to go through. You're going to have to uh, completely redo it. And we're talking billions of dollars in impact in an industry that has nothing but increased costs with no um, – uh, way or no possible, uh, you know, recovery of any of the funds that are going into it. And, you know, is the government going to step in and say, here's a, here's a tax break, or uh, are they going to reduce the highway use tax? And, and if you, um, you know, if you have a fleet of 19,000 trucks, as one company does, you know, you're talking at, at $100, you know, uh, or I mean, at a thousand dollars a unit, you know, to change them up. So, you know, that's the problem with it. it you know, the the I think that the lobby would probably um, stand up pretty tight against change or retrofitting or improving it because of just the plain economics involved in it totally. And you got to take that into consideration. Well, just on a side note, I was looking here at my notes on this uh, changing the fatigue driving basic to the HOS compliance basic and the ATA now coming out uh, challenging that data uh, from the fatigue, you know, from the fatigue issue. And I, I think it's funny because uh, Donna and I came out <laughs> challenging that, uh, that data on the fatigue on, on day one and now ATA is jumping in there, but that, that's another show. Well, on this mandate for the EOBRs, because um, I haven't really paid that much attention to it, and where are we? Where where are we standing on that now? The the EOBR mandate. What's going on there? There is there, there the, the law. The, we already have laws on or regulations on the books. There's a regulation out there that's an active regulation. It's a final rule that says any carrier caught in a intervention now we can't use the word compliance well we can use the word compliance review or cr but basically caught an inter intervention and you know they have more than 10 percent of their violations or hours of service violations can be mandatorily required to put electronic onboard recorder on that law is in effect that well that was in effect what, what's the new one 
The new one basically, I mean, what are you talking about, the new one? The new one saying that all vehicles have to have it? Yeah, that's, I mean, because that's, that's the confusing case. part. If there's no funding to enforce it, then uh, when it, when or if is it absolutely going to take effect? Um, it has to take effect two years from the date of the signing of the MAP-21, so they have two years to come up with the funding. Okay, and what does that look like? Where are they going to get the funding? Uh, if I knew that, I'd be a millionaire because I'd write a book about it. Okay. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not being smart, but honestly, um, my my wonderful boss asked me to look into my crystal ball because we do print, you know, regulations and forms and stuff, and he's constantly asking me to look into my crystal ball. Well, my crystal ball grows on a daily basis because there's so much happening down the road that unfortunately um, – you know, it's got to go through the court systems. I mean, this is an ongoing battle that's going to be fought over time. And what we're discussing here today is the beginnings of the, or not the beginnings, but, you know, there's a lot of battles makes a war. So uh, this is another battle that we're, that we're going to, uh, you know, uh, to challenge and, and different things like this. But these are the things that, that I think need to be important and need to be brought up during these battles is that this is not a one-size-fits-all type of a resolution to increasing safety, and it's almost become like a personal thing between certain lobby groups and certain trucking associations, but the facts need to be known, and um, you know, I'm going to get on my soapbox for a minute real quick and say, listen, this is why we said in the first convention, this is why we're going to reiterate it in this convention. Drivers need to become aware and get involved. We have 13 million CDL, 13 million CDL, not counting non-CDL that are affected, but CDL drivers that have the ability to go online I have posted several uh, um, things on my on Facebook um, where you can link on to um, uh, comments. I constantly post them where you can go on and uh, Atari has got one on there right now where you can go and fill out a survey. Uh, I posted that. Um, people, don't ignore these posts. Believe me, it's not because I want to sit around and just put stuff on Facebook to get a lot of people to read it. I searched this out and put that on there so you, to give you the opportunity to use these systems and these programs to put your voice out there. We talked about how to go in and file, um, uh, you know, how to file a comment section. And if you look um, under the, um, I'm sitting here looking right now, um, the Department of Transportation, Federal Motor Carrier, docket number 2041898. Agency response to public comments of the safety measurement system. Well, guess what? This is exactly where the federal motor carrier is responding. Now, let me explain something to you. When I look, and right here, what we're talking about, when I look at the um, uh, hours of service and uh, changes to hours of service, and they, they mention the uh, comments that were made, and here we go. It's like several comments such as, Bison, Q-Line Trucking, Western Trucking Alliance, uh, Vigolo, <laughs> isn't that a good one? Vigolo LLC is commenting on hours of service. Owner OOIDA, ATA, different companies. Do I see a guy there named John Smith? 
Do I see a guy there named Frank Bowles or whatever? No, I see trucking companies, people that have uh, legal departments, uh, big motor carriers. They're all on there giving their, well, let's hear from the drivers because, come on, let's face it, every night, Donna, you and I and, 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 and Alan and, and people listening on here get in discussions on Facebook and we all have a, 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 a solution to this problems and everything else. But we're not putting it where it needs to be put. It needs to be put under the nose of the feds. Let us get our opinions out there. You know, you got 66 advocates in Washington that are that are you know manipulating our entire infrastructure of our industry. We got 13 million CDL drivers. Excuse me, but the majority wins in most cases. So what I'm saying is, we have the right to to put our comments. We have the right to discuss this. We need to start doing it. Or this is going to sneak in and bite us on the butt, and the next thing you know, we're all going to be sitting around drinking coffee and trucks cops going, how the hell did this ever happen? Well, that's what happened in Norway, and James Linden in Norway, um, uh, just a great guy, man, so much knowledge. And there, there are no owner-operators left in Norway because of stuff like this. And that's the same words, Richard, that James told me, you know, a year ago or so. That the, one day the owner-operators woke up and said, "What happened?" And uh, you talk about it constantly. We we share it. Uh, so many things on social media, but the drivers just aren't going to those uh, comment sections like you're talking about and doing it. I mean, I know they're driving, they're working, you know, they get home, it's like, oh, man, I just want to shut my mind off and do it. But, hey, look look, look at Norway, look at Europe, you know, the, the exact same thing happened there. Well, uh, you know, and, and I think a lot of it is because everybody's on overload. They're they're writing, they're this, they're that. <clears throat> and this, they forget, actually, one of the most important things, like you said. Well, you have all these great ideas you know send them send them to the the government but what i think would be great and rich i don't know if you're up for it or not but uh perhaps a post something that can be archived uh with the the links uh right in there of if you need to talk about or respond to this here's the link if you need to do this here's the link and and then it's it's an archived uh you know resource where everybody can go because I think a lot of people forget. Well, what, what did they say? Where do I go to talk about that? Um, uh, I, I, I can let me stop you right there because let me give you this: www.fmcsa.dot.gov. You can't get any more simple than that. Instead okay. of sitting in your sleeper on the computer on Facebook for 16 hours while you're waiting to get loaded, or you're taking your 10 hours and talking a bunch of crap, click on those, that simple link, www.fmcsa.dot.gov. The FMCSA gives us a lot, a lot of educational material. They will direct you where to go comment. You can read up and become intelligent and speak intelligently. There's a whole section on CSA that has in there just on resources that they even they even put up a fact sheet for like drivers just the facts for drivers I'm looking at it okay I mean they have questions about CSA you can go on there and you can look up um, uh, uh, go to the federal uh, system that what I call the FDSY system and you can see when a notice of uh, proposed rulemaking or a notice for comment comes out 
You can have actually sign up and have the government email you when they come up with an NBRN or a notice of comment. You've got to take some of this wasted time. Excuse me, but I'm going to say this. Quit your bitching and start your researching and become active. Become Every driver out there can be an activist. Whether you drive for a trucking company, you're an owner-operator, I don't care if you drive for Swift or Warner or you drive the biggest large car there is on the highway. You need to get educated and understand what's happening to your industry. And if you can take the time to go to www.fmcsa.tot.gov and just go through the website and search, the United States Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration will give you information and education and make you better, smarter, and able to uh, comment on these things in an intelligent manner. Saying that uh, the administrator of the FMCSA doesn't know what she's talking about because she's never driven a truck doesn't get you anywhere. But if you can say how this will financially impact you personally, then it becomes legitimate data, and they will listen to you. They will listen. FMCSA is not the enemy. FMCSA is fed the information they are fed by professionals. I don't know any more professionals than the guys and gals that are sitting right now in their trucks listening to this podcast and are behind the steering wheel that, yes, you're the ones behind the steering wheel. It's not the suits in Washington. It's you. Get your voice heard. Well, I wanted to ask you. I'm trying to make it easier for them. I, You know, I kind of feel bad. Um it, it, on the different proposals, I mean, you know, we go on the site all the time. You know, there's constantly, you're constantly reading and researching and everything. But for someone, and, and I know what you're saying, they need to do it too. But let's say there's a hot topic. Is there um, a forward slash on there for, you know, uh, um, comments? Or, or just type in the search bar if you want to make a comment or something. Or what's up? I know when you go there, it'll say, you know, it'll actually tell you, you know, what you can comment on and everything and what's what's ready to comment on. But I guess there is no, like, direct link, so to speak. You you kind of have to do a little legwork. I'm just trying to make no, it no, easier. No, there is a link. There is a link. I'll tell you exactly what you do. You go on the website. I just told you to go on your federal website. You click onto it, Okay. And uh, you get them to email you. You put, put yourself on an email alert program, and they send you an email of a notice of proposed rulemaking, for instance, or a notice of comment. When you get the PDF up there, it actually has links that you click on. It'll take you right to the comment page. Okay. So they. So I guess the answer is, because I know we get that already, and, and, you know, it's an alert type of thing, but there is well, no other well, way... Unless or you, you, or you uh, can friend me, and believe me, in a period of a week, I don't know, I can't even count how many things I post on there that have the, the direct links and everything that you can. It'll link you right over to it. Because, but I'm every time something comes out like that, I, I, I post it. I put it on Facebook. When I get an alert, I, I post it on there. I mean, I don't. You know, it's supposed to be social media. It's supposed to be a way to be able to reach out and touch your neighbor. You know, like the old uh, Ma Bell. You know, reach out and touch someone. Well, I try to reach out and touch someone. So, you know, I do this for a living. Um, 
you know, I get paid to do it for my clients. I do this on my own. But, you know, um, that's how I'm an advocate. That's why I'm an advocate because, you know, I'm, I, I believe in education and, and, and uh, I believe in, in teaching and training makes people smarter and makes them more part of what they should do. I mean, we are a major force in this United States of America in the transportation industry. But we, if you look at it and you look at the, you know, the amount of freight, the tonnage, the highway, the, uh, the trucks, everything that's involved in the transportation infrastructure, but yet it, it were like the, 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 you know, there's all whispers running around up and down the road. They don't hear what we have to say. So, you know, befriend me. I don't care. You know, I'm going to post it on her. You don't have to send me a letter and wish me happy birthday or send me some kind of a link to a farm bill. You can just go on there, and when I post something, go to the site, click onto it, and go read it, you know? so Well, I mean, and that brings us to another, another uh, question. Or actually, no, I just want to say, tell everybody that Rich, Rich is going to be at the convention in, uh, well, it's, I'm saying October. It's actually the 27th. It's in a couple of weeks. And he's going to be, uh, Rich, can you want to give some people a little hint on your presentation? Um, what, what topics you're going to be touching on? Basically, what uh, this year, what we're probably going to focus on is um, <sighs> there's so much going on. Anything could change between now and the next two weeks. It could change that up. But um, the uh, you know the the current condition of the industry, uh, the driver shortages. Um, you know what we touched on basically a little bit today about the improvement of education. Uh, try to steer people in, in a different direction to, to get better education, uh, to become better drivers, uh, little hints that can help them out on the road to avoid violations. Um, you know, another thing is, um, I'm going to throw a plug in here real quick if you don't mind. You know, um, my business, I'm in the compliance business. We sell compliance forms. We do, uh, you know, we have programs, uh, a great little program we have set up is called uh, um, um, our safety director service. Uh, we have our um, uh, technical support. Technical support is a great thing. Technical support is, it, it, you know, it's like for, you know, under 200 under $300, you, you send in your money, you become a member, you get uh, unlimited access to technical support questions. These are not going to be opinions. These are not going to be um, uh, um, interpretations. These are going to be the regulations with an explanation to help you. Um, if you run into a situation, you can get personal uh, service on guidance on how to do it. We offer a log auditing program. Let me tell you something. I would today, if I was an owner-operator, I would have absolutely my logs audited and sent back to me. I can tell you from experience, when you do an audit and you have log auditing and you present that, and as a small carriers out there, if you have a log auditing system, uh, you go to a third party, uh, it's, 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 it's affordable, uh, it gives you a complete report, it gives you an idea of what drivers are having problems. I mean, it's time consuming for you to have a, uh, somebody in your company do log audits. Uh, it helps you with a corrective action plan if you ever get into trouble with hours of service. It also helps you have a um, 
Um, you know, by law, you're required to have a disciplinary action policy. Well, I'm not worrying about as much as disciplinary is training a driver, making the driver. You know, we're talking about uh, form and manner violations. How many form and manner violations are being done right now? The guys don't even know they're doing them wrong. Um, you, you get a report back, and you get to show the people, you know, get copies of the mistakes on the logs. You know, these are all type of things. In fact, um, talking about my boss earlier today, uh, he told me, he said that uh, if anybody's out there listening tonight, anybody out there tonight, uh, if you call our 800 number, which is 1-800-367-9100, that's 1-800-367-9100, and you tell them that you listen tonight to this program and you know, hopefully you got something from it because thank God for Alan and Donna for putting it on so we can go out there and train people on CSA because they haven't been, that our company will tomorrow will give them a 25% discount on any purchases. So wow. And, and I just want to say that's transproducts.com, and they are a second-year supporter of professional drivers in the industry um, as a sponsor for the, the convention. This is Rich's second year taking time, his time, to come there to educate drivers, just like he does on various different radio shows. And, and this, is what, this is what true driver advocates do. They, they use their own time, and it's so important, and it means so much to them to get this information to people that they, they disregard, to a certain extent, um, their own lives. I mean, I, I hear you on the radio, and I see you talking to people on, on Facebook. You're not getting paid for that. But you know what? You know, we do need to support those who support us. So you need to check out Trans Products. It, it's transproducts.com, right, Rich? Yes, yeah, www.transproducts.com. Um, and you just go to the site, and we, you know, has all the stuff on there. But, I mean, I would like to see people, if they're interested in talking or discussing, you know, some of these services that we offer that helps them be compliant. And obviously with CSA, compliance is, is, is and, and, and improving their compliance we can help them very inexpensively, very affordable, meet the compliance that maybe they're a little short on right now and can't afford to have a full-time safety person on board. I have a lot of owner-operators that I'm their safety guy, and uh, and I right now and I'd like to also take a minute because of what you just said about the amount of time and energy and effort that I put into it. Thank yeah. you, Wyatt Hammond, the owner of the company, my boss, the owner of the company allows me the time and affords me that to be able to go out here and help drivers be an advocate. In fact, next Tuesday and Wednesday, I will be in Washington, D.C., to the CSA subcommittee, subcommittee meeting of MixAC. I am going to represent everybody out there that's listening to this. We know what our situations are, and if you contact me, or you call my office tomorrow at 1-800-367-9100 and look at our products, talk to me, discuss things, give me some, some, some input that I can take with me to Washington. I speak on behalf of you with people like Todd Spencer. Uh, Todd Dills comes to these things, and he writes about what's going on. 
We're trying to keep them, uh, you know, keep keep our community and our industry. We're all a family out here, man. Everybody talks about how it used to be on the road 20 years ago. Well, you know, this old trucker is still trying to keep it the way it was, only I'm using social media instead of a big old CB radio. And what we're speaking is is facts, and fortunately I'm lucky enough to be able to be a part of that Washington uh, bureaucratic uh, mess. But thank you very much, Wyatt, for allowing me to do this, and I hope he's listening and help people and help drivers. And that man gives a lot of my time and, and gives me the availability. So I wish people would support us and help us. We're not a great big, we're a small company. We're a family-owned company. But we are compassionate and we believe in what we're doing and we're trying to make our industry proud and an industry that that we can start bringing some youth into because our industry is a better industry because of the time, effort, and energy. People like Donna, people like Alan, that what the convention stands for and represents. We're all hardworking to make this better and educate our fellow drivers. Thank you, Richard. And we're so excited that you're coming back to uh, speak. And um, I hope you're as excited as we are. I think you are from the times that we talked together. But um, it's just so important. Oh, I'm excited. <laughs> I know. I know you yeah. are. I know you are. <laughs> yeah, I, and, and I, I, get, I, I, I appreciate all my old friends, and, and and we all sit around. And I mean, what better is it is than a bunch of guys and gals sitting around a casino talking about trucks? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I appreciate what you and Wyatt and TransProducts.com does, and um, uh, keep that offer rolling, though, because you know the majority of our listeners. You know, there are a lot of them are drivers out on the road. Our majority of our listeners come through the archives. Uh, uh, hit a record last week, 10,561 listeners in one week. And that's, a, you know, majority of that's from the archives, but that's a good offer. So follow up on that. And But, yeah, we appreciate what everything y'all do. Look forward to seeing you in a, uh, in a couple of weeks, I guess. But our time is running down. And uh, so, Richard, thanks for joining us. Uh, really appreciate a lot of a lot of great information. All right, and uh, let's do this next time, Alan. Let's finish talking about all the name changes because we had so much to talk about tonight, and it is very specific and 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 complicated. But I'd like to I'd like to finish you know with this last little statement. Um, you know, we are responsible for our own actions. The government has put something in place to cause us to be accountable for it. So let's let's educate ourselves and let's get a little bit better at what we're at and what we're doing. And you know, let's 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 across the board, let's all get a little bit more involved with this and uh, help me fight in Washington and I hope tomorrow I get cauliflower from everybody calling at 1-800-367-9100. Uh if you need logbooks, you need documents, you need papers, I can help you, assist you. Uh you may not have something you need. Um, you may not think you're totally in compliance, but you got to remember this intervention thing is not a compliance review. They can walk into you tomorrow, and, and if you're high in one category of the seven basics, they can concentrate on that particular item. So make sure all your I's are dotted and your T's are crossed. And I want to say one other thing before we end. 
all this time and energy and effort. Thank you to Wyatt and everything for letting me do it and giving me the time and the ability to do it. But the most important person I want to thank is my wife because this poor woman has to sit here in the den while I'm on the phone talking about trucks or I'm on the phone talking about trucks all the time and sits here and listening to it, and I'll be bringing her out there, and I hope everybody that's coming to the convention will walk up to my wife and say, thank you for allowing us to steal your old man. Yes, I was looking forward to seeing her again, too, and I know you're absolutely right, because when you were here visiting us, oh, I don't know, it was a few months ago or whatever, but... I I didn't realize that we were doing all that talking, and I looked over at her, and she was so quiet and just nice and, you know, didn't look upset, nothing, just tolerates it. And I happened, I think I happened to say, oh, this must be boring, and she just kind of looked at me kind of like, this is life. So yeah. <laughs> I know what well, you mean. A, a lovely person. Was that She's been with me for 36 years, so... Apparently, in the 36 years that she's been married to me, there's been a truck somewhere, somehow, stuck in our life. So I give her a lot of credit. That woman's probably got as much diesel in her blood as the 10,000 people listening to this show tonight. <laughs> well, tell her I said hi. We'll look forward to seeing her again. And and uh, I hope the listeners to the archives, whatever, during the week, you know, however it works out, I hope they uh, – flood your phone calls i mean you've given them the information now they got to take action very good all right thanks again thanks i said i want to thank everybody for listening tonight and i hope they learned something i hope i've been helpful and like i said 1-800-367-9100 367-9100 if anybody needs any documents forms or logs give me a call tomorrow they get 25 percent off and if enough people call in and we get enough response from this, I might be able to talk the boss into continuing doing this for a while and cut you all a break. <laughs> all right. All right. Thanks again, Richard. Really appreciate it. And, um, uh, yeah, I hope they will. I mean, we saw the we saw the figures to the listeners through the archives, and it was just uh, jumped up into the thousands. So I hope he just gets flooded. But. Uh, okay, listen, got to take a quick break, and we will come back, and we'll wrap up this broadcast of Truth About Trucking Live. Hang with us. You're listening to Truth About Trucking Live on Blog Talk Radio. Alan Smith will be right back. Alan Smith here with Truth About Trucking Live and AssetTrucker.com with an important message for owner-operators and fleet owners. Hot John Incorporated is a company that makes the Dynasys APU, and if you're considering an auxiliary power unit for your truck but thought you just couldn't afford it, you need to talk to the Dynasys guys about their all-new financing program. The Dynasys APU saves fuel and provides AC, heating, plug-in power, all of those comfort necessities you deserve when you have to shut down for your mandatory break. It's definitely the smart way to be comfortable and save money. Their finance program is designed to make your monthly payment nearly half of what you're spending on fuel with their goal of making APUs available for every hardworking driver. They realize that times are tough and that credit is hard to come by, so they offer full credit plans giving all owner-operators and fleet owners a guaranteed financing opportunity. They can even get you hooked up with grants that can cover APU costs as well. Give them a call at 1-800-289-8282. 
toll free 1-800-289-8282 or just Google search Dynasys APU. Visit them online at hotjohn.com. That's H-O-D-Y-O-N.com. The Dynasys APU, the best solution to engine idling. Heads up, truckers. Are you looking for deals on trucks, trailers, parts, or equipment? Or maybe you need to sell something truck-related. Well, there's a great spot on the web where truckers deal with other truckers. No middlemen involved. That's why we call it TruckerToTrucker.com. There's no charge at all for looking. And if you want to place an ad for what you're selling, it's just $19.95. And it runs till it sells. So whether you're buying or selling, it's time to log on and take a look. TruckerToTrucker.com. Check it out. That's TruckerToTrucker.com. There's a lot of copycats out there, but you know, there's only one. Truth About Trucking Live. Now, back to the show. All right, uh, kind of close here, but uh, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Really appreciate it. Uh, be sure to bookmark us and add us to your favorites. And thanks again to Richard Wilson of TransProducts.com for joining us this evening. You can join us on Facebook as well, if you like, at facebook.com slash askthetrucker, on Twitter at twitter.com slash askthetrucker, and visit our blog as well over at askthetrucker.com. Donna, just got about a minute. Do you have any final things? Just uh, one more uh, alert on the missing truck driver alert network. That driver was found. Uh, he had been missing for three weeks. I just want to make that announcement. That's Cars Fisher's page um, on Facebook and missingtruckdriver.com. So, uh, and as far as I know, the app is ready to come out any day. I, I feel like I, I keep saying that, but, you know, they, they come up with little glitches and they want to fix it before it's out. So, uh Anyway, it will be out, I'm hoping, before the convention. They promised it would before the convention, the missing truck driver alert um, application to put on your iPhone or your Android. So you can sign up for that now, www.missingtruckdriver.com. And that driver was found safe and sound? Yes. Okay, good. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Sounds good. From the When the Big Rigs Don't Roll CD produced by AlanAirsProductions.com, we'll leave you with John Johnson performing Don't Get Hooked by Dak. So on behalf of Donna Smith, TruthAboutTrucking.com, AskTheTrucker.com, TruckingSocialMedia.com, Blog Talk Radio, and Truth About Trucking Live, I'm Alan Smith. Drive safe, everyone, and thanks for listening. can be good, life can be bad, some things make you happy, other things make you sad, you might get stuck on cigarettes, get hooked on beer, you might get hooked on driving trucks and shifting those gears, don't get hooked by a jack, it'll follow you around, no matter where you go, no matter what town. Doesn't matter if it's wrong or if it's right. What they put on paper's gonna follow you for life. Don't get hooked by Dak. Don't get hooked by Dak. Don't get hooked by Dak. No. I'd scuff a tire. 
Bend a bad wing through no fault of your own. Your fender gets a ding. Have words with the dispatcher, and he writes you up. No matter how you try, your best just ain't good enough. No, don't get hooked by that. It'll follow you around no matter where you go, no matter what town. Doesn't matter if it's wrong or if it's right. What they put on paper's gonna follow you for life. Don't get hooked by that. Don't get hooked by that. Don't get hooked by that. can put that deck where the sun don't shine Deep in a mountain at the bottom of a mine Buried beneath a mountain of coal As dark as a politician's soul Well that's what I think about Dak Oh, don't get hooked by Dak It'll follow you around no matter where you go, no matter what town, doesn't matter if it's wrong or if it's right. What they put on paper's gonna follow you for life. Don't get hooked by that. Don't get hooked by that. Don't get hooked by that. Oh, don't get hooked by that. No, don't. Hooked by Dak Don't get 